0: First of all, thank you so much for doing this. I'm very grateful.
1: I am honored. I appreciate the invitation. um, Just to to be able to share uh, different perspectives related to what's happening right now in the United States with Mm COVID-19.
0: Attica Scott is a unique face of America, a state representative of Kentucky. She is one of the few people and few women of color in elected office. Kentucky is seen as one of the more proactive states in the national COVID-19 response. There have been relatively few deaths, but this is an area where 17% of its people are living in poverty and where a disproportionate number of black people are being infected, a trend that's been seen across the United States. All of us, no matter where we live, are vulnerable to this pandemic, but some of us are clearly much more so because of the history that came before the virus. Representative Attica Scott, thank you so much for being with us. And it's Friday evening over in Louisville, Kentucky, where you live and work. Does it still feel like a Friday night in the traditional sense now that we're all in lockdown, that there isn't the same working week concept as we once knew?
1: For those of us who celebrate the Easter weekend, this is Good Friday. And so for many of us, we'd either be at church um, or with family and or extended family and we're not able to do that right now so there's a some weight um additional weight that's added to this moment that we find ourselves in so it for me it's been unlike a traditional work week and even a a traditional or historic easter weekend
0: i remember also your children because i can see a family picture above you yes two children how are they i do
1: They're doing okay. Um, My son is in his early 20s, and he's um, what's considered to be an essential worker. So he's a supervisor um, at a restaurant, and so he has to be at work. And when people call in, he has to show up. And my daughter is a teenager, and in her first year of college, and she found herself on an extended spring break. Um, And she's also at work right now because she's an essential worker. She's a pharmacy tech. And she's got to be there to make sure that people get their meds, including folks who come through with the coronavirus.
0: How is COVID-19 impacting the state of Kentucky, but also the people that you serve in your own district, District Number 41?
1: In the state, um, we are seeing that this global pandemic is also impacting the Commonwealth of Kentucky, that no one is going untouched, that All of us, I would argue, know someone. Um, In my church, we recently had a deacon who died from COVID-19. And so across Kentucky, people have experienced loss. And um, right here in District 41, the district that I serve, we're seeing what it looks like now to to try to live an existence where we're physically distancing from one another by at least six feet. We're experiencing the challenges of trying to to go to the grocery store and be able to buy enough groceries for two weeks. We're, ex- we're now experiencing um, back to school and back to school in, in air quotes, because it's all online. And so that's a new reality for students, for teachers, for families. And um, I definitely celebrate the schools in District 41 and across Kentucky, um, where teachers have stepped up and and are doing what they've always done, which is find the best ways to educate uh, their students.
0: I'm very sorry to hear about the passing of your church deacon. He would be, or he or she would be, one of the 79 deaths recorded as of April 9th in Kentucky. As of that date, your state had tested 23,170 cases of which 1,452 had returned positive, and as I said, relatively low. Of course, every death is one death and one community, 79 deaths. Um, Compared to, say, uh, U.S. epicenters like New York, uh, you're seen as progressive and you're seen as a state that's getting it right. How are you doing and what are you doing?
1: People are, are listening to the advice that they're being given, whether... Um, it's from public health officials or it's from elected officials um, or it's from uh, their uh, place of worship if they worship Um, people are heeding the advice that they're receiving and one of the things that I think it's important um, to note is that because in Louisville we're such a diverse city we have uh, more than 89 languages spoken in our public school systems We're also making sure that um, what's produced is accessible. Our mayor is making sure that um, everything that's provided on the city's website is in multiple languages um, and is accessible for people who have different um, disabilities. And so that has been one of the ways in which we've been able to get people um, to really understand what's happening because it's being presented to them in a way that they can um, digest and uh, making sure that social services and support services are available to people in
0: need. It sounds like there is a whole of government and whole of society approach working in parallel. You mentioned the church in your earlier response. You mentioned places of worship. How important is community mobilization at a time like COVID-19 and getting the messages across and heard and learned?
1: And one of the things about Louisville um, is that it is a city that has always been strong with organizing and people working together. And, you know, before COVID-19, we had a culture of knocking on doors and talking to people. And so we've had to turn that into telephone calls and phone trees and social media. But that means we haven't missed a beat. While we are not able to necessarily knock on the door of an elder, um, we are able to call. Um, We we may not be able to knock on the door of a young person, but we're able to connect with them on social media. So that has been helpful. It's helped us to maintain this sense of connection and community. Um, Although we understand that um, we are all impacted by COVID-19, we also know that we're impacted in different ways. And we're acknowledging and respecting and valuing that.
0: So that culture of community has been part of Kentucky's preparedness. Have you seen lots of acts of compassion and kindness given this context?
1: I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to support Meals on Wheels, which they deliver meals to homebound seniors. And so for uh, the month of March, they were, they had dozens of volunteers who were helping to hand out meals, deliver meals, just coming together in a way that said, we have to take care of everyone. We have to make sure from the newborn baby to uh, someone like my granny who turned 92 this year, we gotta make sure that everybody in between is taken care of and let's figure out how we do that. Um, Our school system has made sure that uh, meals were available for kids um, so that no child would go hungry. Uh, And we've, we've been seeing the different ways in which folks have been supporting one another.
0: Who do you think is vulnerable at COVID-19, not only for Kentucky, but when you think very widely?
1: I'm concerned about Black people and other people of color, particularly Latinx and Native um, Indian people who, um, because of the history of discrimination and racism in healthcare and government, are at higher risk. Those kinds of things terrify me because I know that they're real. And I know that this country was, was not in any way, form or fashion, ready to respond to this virus at all, let alone its impact on Black people and other people of color and younger people in the Southeastern part of the country.
0: You don't believe it was ready?
1: Oh, I know the country wasn't ready. I I see it. This country was not prepared because we don't have the necessary gloves and, and masks that medical professionals need, let alone the rest of us who have to navigate the streets
0: every single day. The governor of Kentucky says that Black people make up 12% of the state's COVID cases, even though they only make up 8.4% of its total population. Why is that? It can't be chance.
1: It's not chance. It's just like what we're seeing in other parts of the country. There are some real health disparities that exist in Kentucky. Access um, to health care, economic factors, uh, social factors, Um, The fact that you have um, Black folks with higher prevalences of diabetes and um, asthma and and lung disease and heart disease and all those uh, different factors that make them more susceptible to COVID-19, that's real. And then there um, are those inequities and the ways in which the healthcare system discriminates against, um, has the implicit bias against black people that's real. So people showing up and um, being told that, you know, their symptoms are not something to worry about. Don't be concerned about that. um, Come back if it gets worse. Or people being afraid to even go and seek the care that they need because of the history of the medical field in the United States that has experimented on black bodies. That's just one example of why some people are even afraid to go and seek the care that they need if they're um, Black people. And so I was not at all surprised when I saw the the disproportionate rate in which Black people have contracted the coronavirus here in Kentucky. And I also know that that's a call to action and we have work to do. We're human just like everyone else and, and we
0: feel the ache and pain of this disease. I want to ask you about something you wrote on your Instagram stories. I understand what you mean, but I think some people, or maybe many people may not, the Black man in a mask would be a threat to some people, perceived to be a threat. What does that mean? How do you explain that to people?
1: We, we live in, in a country as a whole where Black men already experience racial profiling and police violence. And we, we've seen it year after year, time and time again. And to expect Black men to be able to wear masks in public and feel safe, when we even have places that outlaw wearing masks in public. And so now we're in a a position where we need to look at our policies and what they mean for people. We need to look at how police think about Black men when they see them, even before they they have on a mask. But with a mask on, the harassment that Black men will experience, the profiling that Black men will experience. The police violence and brutality that they will experience is real. That fear is real. That concern is real. And it means that people who want to be healthy, who want to be safe, who want to live, have to fear that it's not COVID-19 that will take them out, but it's people who um, already are discriminating against them. It's people who already have a certain perspective about Black bodies and Black men.
0: There have been race-based attacks because of COVID 19 specifically on Asians around the world and specifically a rise in anti Chinese sentiment. Is COVID 19 an opportunity to again try to rein in so that you have more inclusiveness? And as a leader yourself, how best do you actually bring people together?
1: Well, for me as an elected official and for other elected officials and people who are in leadership positions, we have a responsibility to immediately immediately um, correct someone who says something that is, um, expresses anti-Asian sentiment. We have to immediately stop that in its tracks. We cannot let it go um, because that makes people think that it's okay. So we have, I have that responsibility, so do other people who are in leadership positions. I also think that with that responsibility, is the opportunity to mobilize people collectively for action. Um, Part of what I I spoke about earlier are the policies and practices and procedures that we need to look at changing so that we can um, reduce the disparities and eliminate the inequities. Well, we have to do that together. So that's a place where we can come together. Um, I, I just imagine the power that we could build if. Black folks in the United States and people who are Asian came together and said, we're gonna transform this country in a way that reflects all of us and welcomes all of us and takes care of all of us.
0: Kentucky is a state which has 17% poverty. Uh, That's about one in every five and a half people that you see on the street there. How are you seeing poverty and COVID-19 interacting with one another? What are some of the challenges that they're raising.
1: I see in rural parts of our state where people have to literally drive an hour, maybe two hours, to access healthcare services. That's a real barrier. And on top of that, we're talking about a mountainous region, the Appalachian Mountains, that people are traveling across. I'm concerned about people who are living in poverty in Kentucky and across this country, who aren't able to buy the food that they need, who aren't able to buy the medicine that they need, who, you know, if they're living somewhere that um, hasn't already ad- adopted a policy around uh, rent and making sure that people aren't, you know, uh, kicked out of their, their, their homes because they can't pay their rent, or are living somewhere where their water is being shut off or their utilities I'm desperately concerned for them because that is going to be a real impact on their health. Even if we weren't in the midst of the coronavirus, when you don't have water, when you don't have utilities, when you can't keep your food fresh um, in the refrigerator, that's a direct attack on your health. And that's the reality in this country. And it's a reality in Kentucky.
0: You truly fascinate people on so many levels i was uh, so taken aback when i read that in the summer of 2015 you went to china to work as an english immersion teacher you were there in the southern province of fujian now fujian is in the relatively and it's all relative in china as you know relatively wealthier coastal regions on 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 that line going down from shanghai down to fujian particularly lots of merchants lots of Entrepreneurship. First of all, what was it like to be in China, and what was it like to work there in the community as well?
1: It was one of the most
0: amazing experiences in my life. I had never been out of the
1: country before, so it was the first time I needed to get a passport and a visa. Um, so, so that was a very unique experience for me. And then to spend almost a month um, in China was magnificent, and um, uh, to be in where we were teaching, oh my goodness, just to, to be able to be with students for um, three weeks and to meet their families and to just see a different culture from my own um, was an experience that I definitely um, would welcome being able to do again and to be able to teach. So it was an, an English immersion program and I was teaching about United States government and politics. So I was you know, in my comfort zone able to bring real life experience to students um, who had never been to the United States either. I, I still stay in touch with many of my students on WeChat so um, every uh, few weeks or so we are we connect with one another, share um, photos and leave one another voice uh, mail messages so uh, I'm so glad to see how they're all growing and, and going in all of their
0: different directions. China is a country that had hundreds of millions. I mean, I think well over 80, 90% of the country at one time, not that long ago, was living in poverty. There are tens of millions still. And with Kentucky also being a state that's particularly impacted by this problem, is there a way that they could learn from one another?
1: Part of what I brought back with me um, from my experience in China was the community that I saw. So every night, after dinner, folks would go out to the, the public square to dance, to do line dancing. And so, you know, I, I just talked about that when I came back home about how we could look at different ways of building community that's more out in the, the public sphere um, and brings people together across their differences.
0: I think you lead me very nicely onto my last question over here, which is a call to a moment because You weren't always a politician. You were not always running campaigns and winning them. You were an academic. You taught over on another part of the planet. You said that you grew up in poverty yourself. you have two adult children. Is there a moment here that we're all being called to to fulfill our civic duty at this time of enormous need for people almost everywhere?
1: We're being called to be our better selves. Um, better than we probably even imagined that we could be and when I say that it means that we're called to look out for one another not only the neighbor who lives right next door but the neighbor in another state and the neighbor in another country because this we're all on this planet navigating it in the best ways possible Uh, and so we all have to take care of this planet and the people who are on the planet and so We've got to look out for one another, we've got to make sure that we have what we need, and we've got to break down you know, silos and divisions and walls and borders, because that's not about building, that's about division. And we don't have time or space for division. We have to figure out how we move forward together.
0: Representative Attica Scott, it's an enormous pleasure speaking with you, and we wish you and your children and the people you serve and the people of America, all the very best of luck in this really difficult time.
1: Thank you so much, Mr. Chow, and please stay healthy and safe.
0: The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak. Go to our social media, at The China Current, and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow, thank you.